0: On mypodcasthouse.com, you're listening to On The Grid with Tony Shabeki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thank you for joining us. We've got a big episode today. We've got Mark Brax joining us a little bit later on to have a chat about the world of two wheels. But right now, we're going to have a chat to Gary O'Brien in regards to, well, the lead-up to Bathurst and also the, uh, the news that we got late last week in regards to the death of of Bob Jane. Good day to you Gary.
1: Hello Tony, how are you?
0: Mate I'm fantastic thank you, a little bit saddened by the the death of Bob Jane. Uh, I don't think it came as a surprise to anyone, we knew it was going to happen eventually at some point, we knew he'd been ill for quite a while but I think what saddens me the most about Bob Jane is the the last maybe five or seven years of his life and the way that all played out for a guy that did so much for the world of motorsport.
1: Yeah, indeed, you're quite right there. It uh, When we've seen him sort of hobbling around and having the uh, family feuds that were going on, it just, it's just a sad way to go out. But as you said, uh, a true Australian motorsport legend, an icon you'd call him uh, for what he's done, and particularly in business too, which then rolled over and became associated with motor racing through Bob Jane team arts.
0: Uh, exactly right, Gary. Well, let's have a chat about what Bob did for the, the world of motorsport. You saw him in his early days uh, up at Bathurst and through his Touring Car Championship, Windsor. Uh, was he was he a seriously accomplished driver or was he just a, a, a really good driver?
1: Uh, I'd call him a hard nut. Yeah? It'd probably be the best way to describe him. Perhaps not the most uh, eloquent driver that we've had. Um, i I certainly say that uh, when you regard him with North Beach and Ian Gagan, Alan Moffat, probably not quite as accomplished, but had the good material and had that dogmatic attitude that it's a win at all costs and I'll I'll do what I can to do it. Um, A lot of people don't realise that he actually was a champion bicycle rider back in the 50s. Really? Yeah, and then, um, of course, he got into sports car racing, what they call a tourist trophy a forerunner of what we now call the Australian GT Championship, raced a Maserati for about four or five years, a 300S. Uh, Didn't win any championships, but certainly was right up at the front in the point score by the time they finished their series. And some of those races were, most of those races were one-offs, of course. They weren't championship races as such, but raced all over the country in that. And then, of course, uh, touring cars and sports sedans and that type of, Thing took over from that period onwards. Went to the uh, first of the 500 races at Phillip Island. The poor runner to what we now call the Bathurst 1000 uh, in a Mercedes and and won down there. And then went back to back and won the following year in a Falcon. And then of course, of the, the Bathurst race became prevalent in 1963. So he he won up there as well twice. So four years in a row he won that 100. Uh, Sorry, the 500. So that's a phenomenal effort. And at the same time, he was racing in the Australian Touring Car Championship, uh, one-off races in 62 and 63, and then in a series in 71 and 72. And a lot of people will remember, particularly uh, the Oran Park finales, some of the biggest crowds ever seen at the circuit. Well, they say the biggest crowd and Uh, they put it down to something like 50,000, but the reality was it was probably about 35,000. But at Oran Park in those days, how would you have known? Because um, no-one took crowd figures, of course, but the place was certainly packed out.
0: Even at 35,000, that's a big crowd to fit into Oran Park.
1: Well, you try getting in well, knowing those days and trying to get out of the place, what it would have been like. (laughs) Uh,
0: you're, You're right. He was known for, as you mentioned, those to uh, 500 wins at Bathurst, four times championship racing-wise, but it was probably the work that he did off the track that he's most remembered for, and especially with the building of the Thunderdome at Calder Park, of which uh, he took in charge. Uh, also the fact that he tried to get the Australian Grand Prix to uh, to Calder Park, and was, I suppose that was the forerunner to the Adelaide Grand Prix uh, starting, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, indeed. From 1980 to 84, he had Formula One stars out here. He bought a couple of the cars out here. Uh, Certainly the Williams car that uh, Alan Jones won the World Championship after that World Championship was over to race in the Australian Grand Prix. So for those four or five years, as it turned out, the Australian Grand Prix, as such, raced at Calder. And then, of course, it really took on a whole new flavour in 85 when it moved to Adelaide. But uh, a a lot of people don't realise, too, that uh, he probably helped a lot of other people out with their careers. Um, John Harvey, for instance, raced a lot of his early years after his Speedway days with uh, Bob Jane Cars, a Ford Mustang, a Repco Tirana, uh, the McLaren sports car that he was uh, probably best associated with. Then, of course, he built those great, the the Repco Tirana. Who who gets that kind of car with that big, huge wing on the back of it? Then the Monaro came along, and that was fairly successful. David Wall currently owns that car, and you'll see it running around. John bower has been driving it in more recent times. And then, of course, the Chev Monza, which uh, morphed, it, well morphed itself into what was a Toyota Supra, and uh, Brian Thompson had it for a while, and then, of course, the Wall's ended up with it as well.
0: The other thing Bob is accredited with, and I was, I was reading an article uh, Brad Jones was talking about uh, the, the association that Bob had with his family, and I think uh, actually Bob is the godfather of uh, of Brad Jones and, and also Kim. And uh, the, Brad was talking about the fact that uh, he Bob was probably responsible also for the Seven Network actually coming into broadcast. Bathurst and was a, a real uh, pioneer in getting that deal done.
1: Yeah, well, that's true, and don't forget he sponsored the race. Uh, he did at one too for a couple was, of years. So- yeah. The Bob Jane Team 1000. And, uh, you know, so if you add that to it as well. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, with the Thunderdome, Dome, cost him a lot of money to set up. And I think that's where the start of the rot set in with his family-wise, because of the fact that, um, you know, uh, Rodney Jane saw that the, the current uh, way that he was going. Don't forget, he bought Adelaide International Air uh, um, Raceway as well and there was always going to be a lot of money going out, perhaps not so much coming back in. Now, the other major thing that uh, we've got to talk about too is his fallout with Cams. He's yeah. a confederation of Australian motorsport. But to their credit, they did eventually uh, put him in the Australian Motorsport Hall of Fame, and he was also inducted into the Supercar Hall of Fame. So, yeah, uh, you know, the, there, was, there was certainly some dirty water went under the bridge, but in the end there was some... Uh, some reconciliation I guess in some respects and it's probably due to his ailing health and um, his age of course.
0: One thing that never seemed to reconcile was his relationship with his son Rodney and even to the extent even to the extent that the statement that was released by the family on his death was actually put out by Courtney, Charlotte and Robert but there was no Rodney as part of that statement at all.
1: Yeah, that was unfortunate, fallout, but uh, there's always two sides to those sorts of stories, and um, mm. we probably won't know the whole ins and outs of it, and really, do we want to? Do we no. need to go down that sort of path? And and we know that uh, Rodney Jane did turn that business around, and made it more profitable than it was ever with his late father.
0: Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, just as we leave, Bob Jane, we saw a fantastic livery from the, uh, the Jones team, BJR, uh, on Tim Slade's ZB Commodore, uh, commemorating uh, Bob Jane's Orange Monaro that was at Sandown. I wonder if we'll see that again uh, at Bathurst. I presume we probably will.
1: Yeah, now that um, of course it'll be uh, in memoriam more than a, a, a reflection, and um, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of respectful moment uh, to pay tribute to. Uh, what was a legend
0: in Australian motorsport. No doubt about it. I'm sure something will happen up on the mountain during this week. Oh, actually, I'm sure a lot will happen up on the mountain during this week, Gary, and we'll be there watching it. Is this uh, How exciting a period is this for you uh, as as a, a motorsport journalist, as a motorsport fan?
1: Well, I've been going to Bathurst. My first Bathurst was 1966, which, I believe, <laughs> only for the start That's and the finish. A year I before I was born, mate. Guess. <laughs> I was well. I was only about ten at the time, so I was getting dragged around by my dad, who was actually driving VIPs from the airport into the circuit. And in those days, uh, not so much '66, but '67, when we went up there, the uh, the uh, Gallagher's girls got on the bus and handed everyone a little ten pack of cigarettes. You would think of doing that now, you'd be shot on the spot. You yeah, would be. <laughs> but promotion was always part of that event. And I'm still excited about Bathurst. I know it's gone through a lot of changes. A lot of people have criticised it. We've gone away from production cars to we went to Group C, Group A, uh, the five litres, supercars, uh, the whole bit. But to me, it's just a progression, and um, it should be respected for what it is. And uh, as I said, I still look forward to it. I love this time of the year. We've just had our footy finals over and done with both codes. Now we get, we're getting in the spring pop proper and we've got Bathurst.
0: Actually, I'm actually surprised you haven't mentioned anything about the Melbourne Storm yet, but uh, that's all right. That's a, for another show, I'm sure.
1: Uh, oh, well, I'm a Parramatta supporter. We oh, just collect more off. wooden spoons than anyone else. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't rub it into anyone, can you?
1: No. <laughs>
0: uh, just finally, mate, uh, your thoughts on this year's race. Do you, is uh, that Wink-Up Dumbrell car looked ever so powerful it, uh, up at yeah, Sandown? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it did. Um, On reflection, that car was really getting out of the slow corners well. They put it down to their shock absorber testing. They were riding those bumps that Sandown's uh, renowned for through those tighter corners. They don't have those at Baffist. It's a more flowing circuit. And I think um, it'll be back to the drawing board. And if you're a Ford fan, I wouldn't be too surprised um, if it goes line ball again.
0: Oh, good on you, mate. Thank you for joining us. We should mention, too, you've been at Winton over the weekend. Tell us about these super trucks racing. I, I, I only noticed that on the weekend. They look fantastic.
1: Yeah, they're big, they're cumbersome. They and they make are a lot they're, of noise. And
0: they're just big <laughs> truck rigs, aren't they?
1: Yeah, but, they, well, they're, they're, they're race vehicles as such. They have two big uh, subframes in it that you couldn't break with anything. And, um,. They bolt big wheels and put big t- diesel turb- uh, engines in it at a turbo charge. They run coolers on everything from uh, a radiator cooler, a turbo cooler, a knitter cooler, gearbox cooler, you name wow. it, to try and keep the heat out of them. You walk past one of them after a race and just the heat just comes pounding yeah. off them. And they don't mind uh, mixing it up and having the odd hit here and there as well.
0: Beautiful stuff. Hey, guys, look forward to catching you later on in the week up at Bathurst, mate. And you'll be a part of, uh, we're just about to announce too, that we've got a massive uh, week ahead in Bathurst. We're going to uh, produce at least two or three podcasts a day with interviews from drivers and look forward to you being a big part of that, mate.
1: Well, thanks for that. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Have a safe trip up.
0: Thank you, Gary. Gary O'Brien joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And as always, we catch up with Braxy to have a chat about things two wheels. Good day to you, Braxy. Good day,
2: mate. How are you, Shabets?
0: I'm fantastic, buddy. And a favourite of Australia's, even though he's not one of ours. But I suppose we could call him a, a, a part time Aussie. Jonathan Ray has uh, won another Superbike Championship, uh, which is a fantastic effort by him.
2: Yeah, he is. Uh, well, he is. You know, we, we claim him pretty quickly. We claim Russell Craig pretty quickly, didn't we? He was like Kiwi. But, um, no, Johnny Ray, he married a Philip Island local girl. Um, they do come down, there. they've got a house down here. He's, um, well, you know, his um, butcher talks to me about the meat he gets and stuff. So he, he has settled in. He does the shopping and everything down here with the kids. So, real family man. But, um, you know, on the serious side, I'm presenting in four championships and i not never been done before in the uh, Superbike World Championship. And, mate, um, they tried to change the rules to combat him and the Kawasaki, but no, that that didn't do anything. Um, and he came out on the weekend, um, basically missed out on pole position by a skerrick at um, the super pole shootout to his teammate Tom Sykes. But we all knew that that was only to delay the inevitable. Once he got into that race, and uh, uh, he did it on Saturday, he got into the lead on in the first race on the Saturday afternoon, and um, overtook his teammate after the first lap, and then just disappeared into the distance. And then last night, that's when he actually won the championship. Was on the first race, so there's a uh, mass celebrations there, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, he was pretty over it. Was pretty emotional actually. I didn't think uh, Johnny Ray would be that emotional with it, but I think mm. it just proves how much these guys put into it. Uh, you know, the, we might be saying that there's not much competition for him, but you still got to go out there and ride the bike and win the race and ride the bike as hard as and fast as you can. And it's probably harder to do when you haven't got. Uh, when you get into the lead um, to keep riding that hard when you haven't got anyone pushing you, you've got to push yourself and it just demonstrated the talent that Johnny Ray's got, then he comes out yesterday uh, the reverse grid which is unique to the uh, Superbike World Championship he started from ninth on the grid it took him a few laps to get by Chaz Davis who was set, sitting second in the championship, or is second in the championship uh, he got away on the Aruba Ducati and looked like he set up you know, about two second lead over the rest of the field, but uh, And Johnny Ray got the uh, club out and slowly worked his way through the field, and got into the lead on about the eleventh lap. And see you later. And uh, just showing but and broke another lap record. So just showing that you know, no matter what he's got, he still goes out there and gives it his all. And uh, he's signed with Kawasaki for another few years. And you've got to wonder, well, what's going to happen? Is and no offence, it's he's making the sport look boring, similar to what Mick Doohan did in his reign of championships yeah. in the Moto GP class from '94 onwards. Um, you know, the talent is undeniable, and you, you, know, you and me watch it and admire it. But when you know it's going to happen, it's like it takes a bit of the sparkle away from um, sitting down and being enthralled with it as well. But you know, you've got to take your head off to him. What can be done? Like I said this year, they. Tried to nobble a the bike. They took some revs off the Kawasaki's and uh, restricted gear ratios and everything. And uh, it doesn't matter, you know. The team's always going to rise to the top, isn't it? And when your teammate, like last night's race, um, Tommy Sykes was struggling in fifth, and he was like some 300 metres behind the leading pack. That was uh, that was Chaz Davies, his teammate Marco Malandrini, uh, Michael Vandermark, who's come of age this year on the Pat Yamaha, the Dutch kid, and also um, Johnny Ray. And you think, mate, there's just Tom Sykes must be big, get off the bike and walk into the back of that shed and beat his head against the wall, going, What have I got to do? I'm on exactly the same bike as this bloke, and yet the difference between the pair of us is chalk and cheese. It must be really demoralising for blokes like that.
0: No, you're right, Praxi, and uh, to talk about his dominance in this sport is just amazing. He's had 60 wins in world superbikes <laughs> in his career, but 52 of those have come in the last four years.
2: Yeah, and. Um, his win, win and place ratio out of the 100 races he's done with the, the Kawasaki team, I think he's been on the podium 67 or 86, 69 wow. times or something. It's just ridiculous, that the, the, the uh, consistency ratio. And it's, I suppose people would say, oh, there's not much competition. But when you look at the likes of you know, Marco Andrew have Grand Prix winner, um, you've got guys there, Chaz Davies, good rider, they're all good riders, Well, there's no, if, if you come and last in the World Championship, you're still a good rider. Let's face it, you know, yeah. they, they've all got talent out there. But it's just the way that some of them just, um, you know, Johnny Ray, I'm just disappointed that he did go to Kawasaki in a way after all those years of Honda because it's negated his chance for ever getting back into a, a GP paddock. I'm sure he's been, um, you know, he's been shopped around, people have been chasing him to get into the GPs. but He's got to that stage now in his career that he's too old to get onto one of the factory bikes, the Reptile Hondas or the Yamaha or the Suzuki or whatever. He'd have to go into one of those second-string teams, the second-tier teams. We know what happens there. And as he said, he said, I'm not going there to earn nothing and not not have a chance to do anything, which would be very demoralising for a guy of his calibre. And it's a shame for us that we're not going to really see him done his stuff on the world stage, sure he's done a couple of wild cards and he's got a couple of top ten finishes and stuff, but the see him week in and week out with the best of it can we are being denied a little bit by that and uh, he's gonna stay in the Kawasaki green for a number of years. I think he signed for another three or two years he signed for this year. So that's to nineteen and twenty. What happens then I'd say, well he's probably earning the best promoter that's about €3 million euro off Kawasaki, plus all his endorsements. So he's not on a bad run, I suppose, you know. No, not okay. bad pocket money. No,
0: exactly. So, <laughs> But how, how much enough, longer can he go for, Braxy, like this?
2: Well, I think another couple of years. Yeah. Um, I suppose guys never get sick of winning, um, but I suppose it's the way you win. Um, and now everybody's expecting to go out there and win it because he's been so dominant in the last four years, particularly this year when he's uh, that was win number 12 out of uh, 22 races. Um, you know that's where do you go from here? Um, there's only one way, and that's backwards. Unless, well, you, you should probably lift the bar again somehow next year. Mm. Um, but then, well, it'll be interesting to see next year in because we've got, you know, Tom Sykes is moving on. There are all these, all these um, team changes and stuff. And um, Johnny Ray, like I said, is staying with Kawasaki. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, who takes his spot in the team beside him. Uh, whether the young Turk. Um, um, uh what's his name? Oh, the man with the wheelbarrow name. What's his name um, escapes me at the moment. Um, pardon me. That's at Lioglu.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, whether he steps up, he's a Kane and uh protege from Turkey, whether he steps up to the team.
0: The wheelbarrow or, um... name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a turkeys mate who actually teaches me some of the pronunciations because of what they look like on paper. Oh, no, totally different. Correct. Uh, totally different. But no, it's going to be interesting next year. Well... Plotted the tour about next year. We've still got two rounds of the World Superbikes together. We've got the um, inaugural round, the debut of the World Superbikes in Argentina, at a brand new circuit before the uh, season swan song at what is now the traditional ending of the season at Qatar in the desert. So, and would God say that Johnny May is going to increase his win ratio by another four wins in the next two uh, in the next two meetings.
0: All right. We would also need to have a chat about a first. In, oh. in Motorcycle World Championships, and Anna Carrasco becoming the yeah, first glad female. Mean,
2: glad you mentioned that, Tony, because yeah, uh, I think it is brilliant for the sport. Motorsport, sport, whether it's four wheels or two wheels, we've seen it in drag racing and stuff in the past. Um, it's one of the few areas where um, the, the, those of the opposite genetic persuasion can be on the same playing field and level playing field as everybody else. And as I've said for years, you've got your helmet, your boots, your leathers, your gloves on, and you get on a bike, and you're just the same as everybody else. Yeah. And Anna's proved that. Um, she's got a wealth of experience. She did uh, Moto3 for a couple of years back, I think, in 2012, 2013. Got a top-ten finish in the uh, Moto3 class. And as you've seen, Tony, the headbangers in that class are not going to be messed yeah, with. and no, uh, it's much the same in this titler class, the Supersport 300, which is for the rookies coming through. have got our own Aussie, Tommy Edwards, having his first year in it. Got a pole position at Aragon, and he was third on the grid last night. And um, he was right in the mix of it until about halfway when his bike expired on him, unfortunately. Poor old Anna. She had a shocker of a weekend. She qualified about 23rd position. She'd gone in with a 10-point lead in the championship. But looking at the grid, you thought, oh, she's going to be up against it. But... Uh, the favourite, his bike expired and then the other bloke who he thought he'd won it and he he um, was leading uh, uh, Perez, he was leading on the last lap but got overtaken he's crossed the line thinking he's won the World Championship Paul Anna's finished I think in 13th position yeah,
0: correct.
2: she was halfway round the her, um, the victory lap or the slowdown lap, and she's like, you can see the dejection, the body language on her with just the way she was sitting on the bike she thought she lost the championship and then she's, like, looked around and must have been one of the masters going, hey, hey, you've won, you won. Because then all the emotion came out of her was And broke down and cried, I suppose. I'd be breaking down and cried if I won the World Championship too. But um, And they put the new the T-shirt on, the custom World Championship T-shirt, which I rolled on the floor laughing with because uh, on the front of it, it's got ride like a girl, World Champion 2018. So um, she did an awesome result, great for the sport, Great! Um, this will inspire a lot more girls to get into it. Not that we're not getting more females coming into it. It's, uh, you look at our local fields, and, and even in that field last night, um, Maria Herrera was another uh, woman in the field. She finished fourth overall. So um, I reckon it's brilliant.
0: No, it is uh, brilliant. And the amazing thing was, Braxy, was that Mika Perez, who could have won the championship, Fought for, as you mentioned, that, that lead on the last lap. I think it changed a couple of times. Perez dropped back to second place at the check and flag, and she wins, and uh, Carrasco wins by one point. If Perez wins, Perez is champion.
2: Yeah, wins by four Just points. Just amazing. Yeah, and that's, um, it's one of those titler classes. You know, it's um, Supersport 300. It was uh, introduced into the World Championship in um, 2017, the beginning of last year. And basically, they mirrored what the Australian rules are for our Supersport 300. They gave them a few extra little bits because of the different, particularly now with these Kawasaki 400s into it. But it is a pretty well production-based class. And it is, I think, you can't be any more um, older than 24 to get into it, similar to what the Moto3 wheels are, so that we get these young kids coming through. And as you saw last night, the battles, there was, I think there was 12 of them in the freight train at the end of the race absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And you put people on equal machine and the cream rises at the top and over through a year of consistency, you know, pole positions, race wins and stuff. Um, it wasn't giving a tour on a platter, mate. She was elbowing the guys out of the way as much as they were elbowing her out of the way. And, uh, and I, what really uh, hit home to me was in part for mate, the, um, the level of respect from everybody. Um, and it wasn't... Uh, respect for a, uh, a woman. It was a respect for what you've done as a rider. I don't think, you know, it was just everybody was so happy to see her get up there after the work she put in. So, brilliant result for the sport. Um, you know, was, um, the Super Sport race was another good one. Uh, Lose Jules and putting a French flag on the top of the French podium at the, uh, at the French round and then, of course, so, good good racing all round, I was expecting. That's a, that'll be reconvened in a couple of weeks' time in Argentina. But then in the meantime, which we'll all focus on um, time, is the flyaways with the main OGP next weekend too. Very
0: much looking forward to those, Braxy. We'll have a chat about those more next week. Just very quickly uh, before I let you go, that romano fanati incident now looks like it's going to end up in court with apparently an Italian newspaper uh, reporting that a public prosecutor is going to char- have Fanati charged with private violence, which uh, is a law that they use when drivers cut up one another on a freeway.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, um, we know what the Italian law process is like. We've seen <laughs> their politicians in their elections yes. over the years that there's no real if there's been a real rip, they just don't oh, get the white out, and that we will change that one really quickly. Um, this has really set a precedent, Raymond, and it's scary that if um, and I know there's a lot of been a lot of knee-jerk reaction, there's been a lot of ongoing reaction to this with Carmelo Spolito getting in and trying to get the arm. Um, the penalties uh, reduced or reversed which is very very bad for the sport when you've got the promoters trying to dictate yeah. the FIM came in um, it immediately happened for the, if have forgotten about it. he was sacked by his team there and then on that weekend then he was sacked by MB who he was supposed to ride for to next year in the Moto2 category um, then the FIM suspended his licence till the end of the year so they've done all the right things for that but then these things are being reversed so now this is where this Italian the lawyers are coming. Oh there's a few bucks to be made here. Where yeah. do those lawyers come from? Um, Part of my cynicism, but um, I think it's really set a precedent. If this can go to court um, and using a road rule on a racetrack, what? Where do we? Where do we go from here? Mm. It's, um I know we've got to do something. We don't want that sort of behaviour in the sport. And I think the powers that be have done a good job to try and get that out of the sport. And isn't part of me, I don't think we'll be seeing that anything like that no. again in the hurry in the next few years anyway. But for the outside that you brought, an outside rule or law to be brought in that shoes on a public road onto a race car, you know, I think that's um, clutching at straws a bit, isn't it? Or just yeah. trying to well, milk we'll, it for everything it's worth?
0: We'll find out. Uh, time will tell, Braxy. Hey, always great to catch up with you, mate. We'll uh, have a talk to you next week when we uh, look at what's happened uh, in the world of MotoGP. No worries, mate. Have a good one. Good on mate. Mark Brax joining yeah, us mate. here on The Grid. So there you have it, another episode of On The Good, wrapped up and locked in the can. And as we mentioned with Gary O'Brien, really looking forward to this week in Bathurst. We'll be bringing you podcasts every day of the week up in Bathurst. So make sure you stay tuned to mypodcasthouse.com and also catch us on Facebook as well, at least Two, three, maybe even four podcasts a day, bringing you up to date with all the action that has been happening on the mountain. And on Race Day, it is going to be action packed. We'll be pumping them out, interviews with drivers, getting you right in to the mountain if you're not there at all. So look forward to bringing you that throughout the week right here on mypodcasthouse.com. We'll catch you again soon.